Hello and welcome to another ProShot exclusive interview. I'm Tyler Raines along with my co-hosts Jigmy Kelsang and Thomas Zubris. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest with us. He is a former NHL player, executive, and current broadcaster for TSN and TSN 1050, Dave Poole. And so Dave, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with us. And how are you and your family doing? My pleasure, guys. Uh, good to join you today. Everybody's good. My three daughters are all in the U.S. Um, you know, grew up there and, and all live in, in their cities there. So it's been such a crazy time for me without being able to cross the border. And the longest I've gone without seeing them in forever. And hopefully we'll get all those things straightened out. Just part of the, you know, part of the issues we've dealt with with this strangest year that most of us have ever had in our lives. And fingers crossed. It's, it's definitely been been pretty tough for us as well. As students, we haven't been able to go back on campus. We've been doing things a lot remotely. So it's, it's been a little bit tough. And that leads me to the first question. So, of course, you've been with TSN for, uh, for quite a while now. What was the journey like going from being a former player to an executive and then eventually into the role of a broadcaster? wasn't with plan at any point um you know if i take you back to being a player i had prepared as a player for life after hockey while i was playing and i had an agent who after two years said to me you're going to law school mba school or you're going to work and, and i said you know excuse me i'm the captain of the philadelphia flyers we just went to the stanley cup finals i've got a job <laughs> and my agent said the average career is 4.2 years, you're halfway done. Which, which then I had to ask him, okay, so you work for me, correct? Is that the way this works? <laughs> but it was great advice at the time and it took me into a world that, you know, I probably wouldn't have entered at any point. And I've never, I've always just gone with my, with my, my gut reaction and, and opportunities have presented themselves. And, and I worked for the better part of seven years in the off season uh, on Wall Street while I played, while I was a flyer and while I was a Bruin. And so that was going to be the route. And then an unexpected call came during the last year of playing in Washington. And that was to, to go back to my alma mater and to coach at the University of Notre Dame. And I had never thought of coaching at any point. It didn't cross my mind. It wasn't going to be a part of it. You know, I was going to be done playing and move on to my next life. And the opportunity to go back to Notre Dame to raise my three daughters there was just too good. And so I transitioned literally two days after I finished playing in Washington. I was the head coach at the University of Notre Dame. So I enjoyed 10 years of coaching there. Uh, for two years, I was an administrator, athletics director, and with a project of building a new rink, which we were able to do. I went into private industry for a couple of years in Chicago. Um, during those years, I did work part-time for the Anaheim Ducks as a pro scout and, and have a Stanley Cup ring from 2007 from those years, which is pretty cool. And then it was uh, an opportunity for an old friend and acquaintance in Brian Burke when he came to Toronto as the general manager and president. I reached out to him and told him I wanted to get back involved on the pro side of things. And that led to me coming back to Toronto. So five years as the vice president of hockey operations with the Leafs, the last three plus of which I was also the general manager of the Marlies. And then when Brandon Shanahan came in and made wholesale changes in the organization, I really didn't know what was going to be ahead. And I was contacted 
about coming to work in the media. No real long-term plans at all at that point. I thought, well, you know, I'll tiptoe into it and see what, what happens there. I talked to both Sportsnet and TSN at the time and made a decision to go with, with TSN. And it has blossomed now into six plus years that I've enjoyed immensely working in different silos. I think the best part for me now is, is the different avenues I work in. So I do the Leafs panel, which you may be most familiar with for all the games we have with the Leafs, but I also do color on 34 Montreal games during the year with Brian Mudrick. I have an opportunity to do some Ottawa games as well. And I've done those both color and panel. I've worked on the Winnipeg Jets broadcast and just really enjoy that. And it's very different. Those two things are very, very different. And then the shows, of course, Gino Retta's That's Hockey, which I do on a regular basis. I do Sports Center, and then radio, a whole different aspect of it all. I'll sit in on overdrive when one of the boys is, is out. I do a lot of Leafs lunch with Andy Petrillo. And then I also have regular hits around the country. I do regular hits in, in Winnipeg, um, Ottawa quite frequently, Vancouver. So it's a really an eclectic mix of things that I do. Um, none of them expected by any means, but you know, all have kept me in the world of hockey. That sounds like an amazing experience. I, I couldn't imagine that's like so many things rolled into one. That's pretty awesome. That's a great, great thing. It really is. You know, it's been a labor of love. Obviously the game of hockey has been so good to me, you know, an undrafted player with no real expectations of playing in the NHL. I went to Notre Dame to get a great education and then I was going to go on and move on and things just kept happening. And when I tell people, you know, if I'm talking to a class of any age and they want to talk about skills and I'll say the best skill I have is the ability to keep going. It's not you know, that I could skate or that I could shoot or that I could check or any of those. It's, you know what, you're going to see a lot of roadblocks along the way and look at what we've all dealt with in the last nine months and the unexpected twists and turns. And, and for you guys at the stage you're at, you know, starting your careers out, you're going to look at it as maybe the most interesting and, and altering chapter of your lives. That's the way you're going to look at it. When, when, when you're asked a question five years from now or 10 years from now or wherever you are and whatever you're doing, your answer is likely going to start with the year of the pandemic, what you were doing then and how that did or didn't take you on a different path. Absolutely. You're completely right about that. Okay, Jigme, I think uh, you've got the next one, actually. Yes. So, Dave, I don't know if you've answered this in, in, in the in the question that you just answered uh, with, with Tyler, but um, if not, uh, I'd, I'd like to ask this now. Uh, we, we would, I'd kind of like to know what drove or led you to wanting to become a great budding sports broadcaster and radio personality for TSN, uh, and more importantly, a TSN hockey analyst. Well, I, my experiences lend itself to that, and but it's not just one of the experiences I've had. And I think when I look at a situation, so if, if I'm doing a panel and I'm looking at a situation and something happens in a game and I'm sitting with Bob McKenzie and Jeff O'Neill and James Duffy, my immediate reaction is how am I going to tell you that story? Am I going to tell it through the eyes of a player? And within that, Jigme, within being a player, am I going to tell it through the eyes of being an undrafted free agent who walked into a room full of Hall of Famers in Philadelphia and the end of the Broad Street Bullies? Or am I going to tell it to you as a young captain in Philadelphia 
who dealt with, you know, one of the youngest teams in hockey and went to the Stanley Cup finals twice in three years? Or am I going to tell it through the eyes of a veteran player in both Boston and Washington who was looked at, you know, with more of a veteran leadership role? And, and then, you know, as I'm processing that, I'm going to say, well, you know, wait a second, maybe I want to tell you what the view of a coach would be right here. What it's like to stand behind a bench, to look up and down the bench at numbers and names, how you make a decision on who to put on the ice next, you know, maybe how you're going to match up or then take it a step further and say, am I going to tell it to you as someone who's sitting upstairs in a manager's role? And, you know, I'm looking at a situation on the ice and I'm evaluating the player short-term, long-term. Is he going to be part of the process moving forward? Do we need to make a change at that position? Because it's something that just happened on the ice. Maybe an injury happened. Maybe we're going to call somebody up from the minors. So I think that's the cool thing for me, Jigme, is to be able to say, I'm going to tell a story and you're, you're reacting so quickly to how you're processing that, but here's how I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it through these eyes, these eyes, or maybe a little bit of this, or maybe I'm going to give you the coach's perspective and then say, but as a player, here's what I saw. So I think that's, that's probably what makes it most interesting for me, you know, when I read. And then I try and draw outside life analogies into it and say, you know, okay, well, you know, I'm looking at it this way, but you as an accountant or you as a lawyer or you as a businessman may have looked at it in this manner. So I, I like to merge everything together and it gets pretty chaotic in my head sometimes, believe me, because you're doing that while you're processing and, and maybe you have two minutes to make that decision or 30 seconds to make that decision. And uh, Dave, like exactly, I think like you're absolutely right. It, it's kind of a mixture of everything, basically. Um, it's like it's like you're doing a school project all over again uh, because you have to incorporate all sorts of levels and, and components to everything that you have to do. And so I think like we really admire uh, what you do on there and, and all, the, all the other people who work there. Um, you know, you guys are so classy and so professional with everything you guys do. Um, the way you report, uh, things are very uh, professionally done. Um, and we admire you and we thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Jigme. Thank you. And, you know, it's interesting because when I started, I started on TH2N, which was the late night show. And, you know, we'd watch the games and then we'd have a half hour show. And and sometimes we'd have the show twice. So you'd have it at 11.30 when the East Coast games were done, maybe report up to the first period. And then you'd clean it up with maybe the San Jose and the Anaheim game or the Vancouver game and the, you know, the um, LA game. And so in my world at that point, I knew there was a makeup lady because I had to go see her first. And then Glenn Sheeler was my co-host and Kyle Lawson was my producer, a young producer. He seemed to spend most of his time on his phone uh, looking at Twitter to see what the world was talking about. Um, and a young associate producer, Paul Medeiros, who was tremendous. And, and, and that's all I knew. And, and then there were two cameramen working in the studio. And then one night the show ended and it was late. It was about 2.30. And I walked out in the parking lot and there was this stream of about, I don't know, maybe 16 or 18 or 20 people. I'm like, where who are these guys? Like, what, what do they do? You know, you have no idea what went into the back production of it, what went into to everything. And, you know, I, I didn't know who was talking in my ear. There was, you know, a lady talking in my ear, a director. I had no idea who she was. I probably didn't meet her for the first, I don't even know how long. 
And so I think when, when you say that and you compliment the people you see on air like that, there are so many people behind the scenes. And, you know, and, and I'd actually stop people and say, okay, what do you do? You know, like, what is it that you do? And the, you know, the same thing with the group, the That's Hockey group that produces Gino Retta's show. It's the same type of thing. You know, there's, that's a really cool office. You guys would love that office because you go in about four o'clock. You first, for That's Hockey, the first call comes to me about sometime between 11 and noon from the producer that says, here's what we're thinking about for tonight. So start thinking about it. We build the show through the course of the day. Um, in normal circumstances, I drive in about four or four thirty, and I get makeup on, and and then go into the office. And the office, the entire group of guys that have been building the rest of the show, the pre-tape pieces, you know, the Chiron, all the back stuff, um, the last minute of the play, and all of those guys, they're in an office just like you'd see a nine-to-five office. It's a great group of guys, uh, highly, highly talented. But it would be up to me to stop them and say, "Okay, what do you do?" And, and what does that mean? Because there's so many different pieces that go into putting these shows together. And, uh, and those, and they're the best. They're the best at what they do. All right, Dave, now to go on to the next question after those amazing stories that you've told. What has your experience been like working at TSN? And do you happen to have, let's say, a favorite memory that you've made within these six years that you've been there? Um, the memories... You know, I like, you know, the, the shows and the panels we do, we take so much pride in. And I remember Jeff O'Neill telling me when I first started, I didn't know Jeff. And, um, you know, when we started and, and they put us together on the panel, very, very different careers. They happened at different times. They overlap a little bit, but very different players style-wise and, and very different experiences. And I remember him telling me, uh, the best thing about these two guys, these two guys being Bob McKenzie and James Duffy, he said they're they're absolute pros. They don't take a day off. They never mail it in. And it's funny, Jeff now has a segment on Friday. It's called Mail It In Friday. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't mail it in. And the shtick being what it is, is, is they don't. He said no matter what's happening in the game, it can be 6-1, it can be 1-0, it doesn't matter. Um, they don't mail it in. And so, you, you know, from a, an experience standpoint, what stands out is that panel is equipped and ready to go all the time. So it's not one experience. It's the experience that when I go in, I know that I'm playing a game that night and I'm preparing for it and we go in prepared and we watch games and we put the stories together and we're prepared to do it. Um, the quiz master is the brains behind that side of the whole operation and uh, the much maligned quiz master, and who I've known a long time, by the way. And, uh, and it's the group that makes it work. But from an individual standpoint, the big days are really fun. The days when you get everyone in there, trade deadline, um, free agent frenzy, and it is chaos in there. And there are, you know, the first time you walk into one of those, you're overwhelmed because on a normal night, there's four of us on a set, there's a couple of producers, there's a sound guy, um, four cameramen, and, uh, you know, there's maybe 12 or 14 people in that studio. Trade deadline, there's 150 people in that studio. Like, it's wow. chaos. It's absolutely chaos. And, and those days are fun. 
getting everybody together, getting Ray in. And because as much as you think we might see each other, we don't see each other a lot. You know, Ray Ferrero and I do different things. We, we just don't get to see each other live very often. Um, you know, Gord Miller, I work with when I see him on the road. That's the only time I, I see him. Mm. And uh, so I think getting everybody together, if you ask me about an experience, it'd be those days because everyone's together. And that's pretty cool. That sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, Dave, I mean, when you're talking about free agency and trade deadline, I bet there's a lot of phones ringing and every, everyone's screaming about, oh, we're going to break this news, we're going to break this news. I mean, how, how chaotic really is it? Because uh, we don't get to see, as viewers, we don't get to see those behind the scenes of what it's like and what it takes, what the work is um, like in there. Um, so take us through uh, what the environment is like on those days. Is it is it chaotic as more than people think it is? Because... There's a lot of things that are going wrong, but there's also at the same time things that go right. Um, so what the what is the environment like? Yeah, I think the key, Jigme, is everybody does their own job. Like I'm not an insider. I don't want to be an insider. What Bob McKenzie, Darren Drager, um, Pierre Lebrun, and Frank Saravelli, Saravelli rather, do are very different from what I do. And I know a lot of people. I can pick up the phone and call a lot of people that they can call. But that's not what I do. So my job to me is to present it. And I let those guys do what they do. And, and they're both, I prepare for both days the exact same way. And, and I, I have a system. I build a book. That's what I do. It's different from what everybody else does. But what, I, what works for me, I build a book for that day. And, and that book is, it's two pages on each team. And it's the exact roster that that team has on that day with the, with the money situation. So restricted free agent, unrestricted free agent. And also their top prospects in their organization through draft, AHL, college, wherever they may be. So I, want, I can get that information from five different websites, but I don't want to look at five different websites that day. I want to open the page to the Toronto Maple Leafs and on those two pages – see everything that's happening. And then if they've already just made a trade, that comes in a different color highlighter. Um, what comes in and goes out is different. And so I want to be able, when James Duthie turns to me, to know who the second player was in the deal, where he played, you know, what it's about. And I want to be able to tell you four or five or six things about each player. And even if it's a prospect. And, and that's the pride I take in the preparation I do for those days. Um, for me, if I'm watching, you know, around trade deadline, and I'm watching Pierre and, and Dregs and Bobby work on breaking a deal, it's, it's unbelievable because they do it as a team. They don't care who gets the credit. They don't care if it's, you know, Darren Drager that gets the first tweet that says, you know, Taylor Hall is going to Arizona. That doesn't matter to them. The fact is that TSM gets it. And the first time you see that happen, you, you just look and go, okay, that's pretty cool. Because that's, you know, three guys passing the puck going down the ice, and it doesn't matter who scores. It doesn't. And if there's a fourth guy involved and he doesn't get an assist, that doesn't matter either. The fact that your team scored, that you got the goal, is the important thing. And so I think each guy prepares in a different way. Those guys, through those time frames. Man, that is 24-7, guys. They're on those phones. They burn them up. 
and they all have different relationships with different people. And, and that's why it works as a threesome. You know, you might say that Dregs has his group that he's closer and tighter with. Bobby has his, um, Pierre has his, and Frank has his. You know, Frank works out of Philadelphia. The other three all work out of the Toronto area. But Pierre obviously is, is from, works the Quebec side of things as well, being from Hearst. And, and Dregs is from out west, so does work the west side of things. And Bobby's just been around forever. So, um, you know, it's a unique group of guys. And, but the preparation is one thing because when, when you say to me, well, you know, you look like a natural, you make it look easy. That's a compliment because there's nothing natural about it, guys. <laughs> I mean, the, the lights go on, the cameras go on, you know, and the first time it happens, you're like, like I've done a million interviews as a player, as a manager. Still, when you're on the set, and the lights go on and the camera goes to you, you know, you're going hundred miles an hour and you're going, holy smokes, this is happening really fast. And the only thing that gets you by it is the number of seats that you can get, the number of reps you can take, you know, the more opportunities you have to do it. And um, you just, you've got to get the reps in, you've got to do the work. And, and, and that's where, you know, doing the podcast that you're doing now are so valuable because you get an opportunity to do it. You get an opportunity to get the reps. Absolutely, Dave. Um, and so that that was that was that was really um, informative because we don't really get to see what the environment is like back there. So um, to know now a little bit about like what goes into it and whatnot, um, I think I'm going to pass it over to Tyler to talk about a little bit about just a little bit about the difficulties and you know how to overcome them. So Tyler, take it away. Yeah. So, and especially in that kind of environment, you were mentioning that it's like, it's, it doesn't always come so naturally. You're kind of in front of the camera and it's just right then and there. Did you, in your career with TSN so far, how many, if you've had any memorable challenges, what kind of challenges have you faced and how did you overcome those? Yeah, that's a really good question because, because as I said, you know, you may look at me now and watch me on TH tonight and say, well, you know, that was, that was really easier. That was really smooth. And and, and I'll give you a great example. Last night, operating from home now, um, to do the overdrive show, guys, it's six individual devices for me. Six different connections and hookups. It's chaotic. I'm not a techie. And, and I'm, so last night, just, I'm on live on TH. And just before I go on, my sound connection tells me I've timed out, which I've never heard before. I have no idea. So I know I'm coming up live, but I've got no sound. I can't hear anybody talking to me. The director's trying to get me. The producer's trying to get me. I can't hear Gino. I can't hear Frank. And I know I'm coming up. So you got a decision to make. Are you going to try and fix the sound? And so now I had to, I, I reopened and reinitiated a program and on my sound device and just hoped I could get it done. So when the camera comes on, actually I'm looking down and uh, somebody texted me and said, don't you know when you're coming on camera? I'm like, well, I did, but I had to make a decision because <laughs> I had to get the sound right or I'm not doing the hit. You know, you have no idea. So I think just having the comfort to do that and not panic, you know, you're going into Jay and Dan live from home with a highlight package. It's three minutes after the game ends and you haven't seen the highlight package because the editor's doing that from home. So the first time you're going to see the highlight package is live on national TV 
And yeah, and you're looking at, and so you've got a return monitor. I'm looking at the screen. I'm looking at a return monitor. Got a different sound device. I'm plugged in different ways. And <laughs> it's like, okay, let's hope this works. But, you know, once again, now you're six years into it, you're more comfortable. If something happens on the show tonight, you may say, okay, well, that makes sense that he wasn't looking at the screen because something happened, you know? And initially for me, Tyler, it was over-preparing. It was trying to do too much and be too perfect. And I remember the first night I was on, it was a Marion Hosa Hall of Fame story. And I wrote it. And I wanted to memorize it, so I memorized it. But it was too long to memorize. And, and you know, I've got a good memory, but it wasn't going to memorize that piece. And so I thought I had it all down perfect. And when it started, I just lost my track. And so when I watch the other guys prepare in different ways, and I probably take more from James than anybody, um, it's keywords. For me, it's keywords and not a whole sentence. So about Marion Hosa, you know, it was going to be how his chase went on through Detroit and Pittsburgh to try and win a Stanley Cup. And he was in the wrong place both times and finally ended up in Chicago. So it's just writing those words instead of writing that whole story. And, you know, so I'm a big highlighter guy. They make fun of me. Um, I have a book right in front of me here, guys, and I, you know, that I, I'm doing notes. I've, I've got overdrive later today. So I'm doing notes on a New York Mets pitcher. Uh, I'm doing notes on uh, the Raptors. And, you know, those things I don't know as much about. So I'm doing homework. And I've got different colored highlighters. They make fun of me. I've got usually um, four types, green, yellow, orange, and pink going. They all mean something different to me. And, uh, and that's what I do. I do homework, I do research, but I try and do it now in a different fashion. Rather than cram it all in there and memorize it, I get the pieces in there and compartmentalize it and just try and go with that. And that's a really, actually, that's really a, a really effective way of doing things. It's great that you mentioned the highlighters because I think a couple of us here also do that as well. It's uh, it just keeps you more kind of uh, focused on that one thing as opposed to just reading it all in paragraphs and getting your information jumbled up. And that's like the worst that's exactly possible right. thing that can happen. And Tyler, I'll take you a step further. James Duffy in his preparation, James Duffy is brilliant, guys. Like he he is he is beyond. It, it's really interesting. I have a my youngest daughter. Uh, is in education and uh, really, really, I'm blessed with three brilliant young ladies who are all have, you know, forged ahead in respective fields and in the arts and in education and all have done, you know, remarkably well in life. And the youngest came in and she's, she's a funny, funny kid. And, and um, you know, she was totally fluent in Russian at the age of 20. At the age of 20, she was working at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. And just operating on a totally different level. So she came into the studio and uh, I put the headset on her, but I gave her access to all the feeds. So when I've got my, my um, IFB in, I can basically only hear the producer and director. They open their keys to me. The sound guy can open his key, but they'll just open it when they're talking to me. James has all the traffic going through his ear. So I opened all the keys for my daughter and she listened to the whole production. And so afterwards I said, what do you think? 
And she said, well, I'm, I'm amazed by a few things, but she said, your, your AP, your assistant producer is just ice water in his veins. So you've got a whole intermission planned. You're getting ready to do it. He's got the highlight packs. He's doing all the communicating with the editors. He's getting what you want. And then there's a goal in the last 30 seconds of the period and everything changes. And she said, he didn't even blink. He was just flawless. He just went with the flow, got everything changed, went to commercial break, came back, told you what it was on. So she goes on and on about him. And then she stops, she goes, but James, he's a genius. <laughs> and I started laughing. I go, what do you mean by that? She goes, dad, I can't believe what he processes. He's talking and the producer's talking in his ear while he's talking. And she said, and I'm just like, I'm, you know, I'm distinguishing which voice is which. And I'm realizing that while he's talking, he's getting information of what's coming next. And she said, he just sorts everything through. And, you know, let alone which camera's coming to him, it's single shot, wide shot, you know, double, whatever's happening. And he handwrites everything before each show. He doesn't use a teleprompter. Wow. So when you see the sports center people, they use teleprompters. Everything's all written, scripted. James, nope, he's flying. And so he handwrites everything. So before, for a normal Leafs game, he's in the chair. He's, he's with the producer, I think, by about 3.30 for a 7 o'clock game. So 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock game. He's with the producers probably by 3 or 3.30. And they work ahead of us coming in. But then he goes to his seat at the podium and he's sitting there probably for, I'd say a good hour and a half before it starts and he's writing. And he writes what he's gonna say in the show. And it's comical, his writing is really messy. And so the camera will be on Bobby Mack and James will lean over to me and say, what's this say? And I'll look at him, I'll say, it's in your handwriting. I have no idea what it says. And, but that's how he gathers the information in his head. You know, it's no different than if I really want to know something, I write it down rather than type it even. Because if I type it, I don't remember it as well as when I write it. So, you know, watching him work and watching him prepare for what he does, I've learned a lot from. That's really great to hear, honestly. I didn't even uh, – I knew that he was – Pretty fluent on the air, but that's that's a crazy process. Unbelievable. It is that. He's good at it, boy. He's and he makes everything, you know, he he's he's obviously very confident, but he's got a humble nature about him that just just wraps you up and, and there's a reason he's the best. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, before uh, we so we don't have much time left, but I wanted to uh, ask you a couple of leaf related questions. So Okay. During the offseason, of course, we've seen that they made a couple of moves. And uh, from past teams, we've seen that they look great on paper, but not necessarily on the ice. How does this team kind of line up towards those other teams? Well, that's going to be the challenge. I, I think that, you know, management went out and Kyle Dubas went out and decided that he was going to get some specific elements and ingredients. And he, his – his philosophy and he hasn't changed from his philosophy and that it's all about speed and skill, but I believe what he's recognized, you know, he's been in the national hockey league for six years now is that there are different elements necessary at different times. 
And that's the addition of a Wayne Simmons. And, and he's done it in the past with a guy like Kyle Clifford, but Wayne Simmons certainly. Um, Joe Thornton is a, is a really intriguing one, guys. And it's intriguing. The whole league is watching to see what happens with Joe Thornton. He's 41 years old. And, you know, he's had just a magnificent career, but it's his, his role as a mentor and a leader, I think that's going to be stretched and challenged the most here. And that's, I think that's what everyone is intrigued to see. Um, I think he's, they've strengthened the defense. Bogosian was a real good fit in Tampa Bay. And, and certainly, I think, you know, the questions about Letton and Mika Letton and we just don't know. He's 26 years old. He's had success in the in the Finnish league and in the KHL. Um, the addition of TJ Brody is going to be significant on defense. But I think it's as much if you put it all together, Tyler, it's the fact that elements have been addressed. And the question is whether they all fit together. And you don't know until so you put them all in the blender and see what comes out. And, uh, you know, until they're all on the ice together and they go through situations together, on paper, they've addressed their needs, um, probably in a more specific manner than they have in the past. And they just haven't added a player. They've added a Wayne Simmons, you know, and, and they've added a couple of, of longer shots in Jimmy Vesey and to a lesser extent, Joey Anderson, just because he's younger. But they've added a lot of different pieces together. So now the question is, how, how will they fit together? And how will they fit around the guys that we know are star players? And, you know, nothing will replace that but the time to see it happen. Absolutely. I think we've got time for one more question. I think uh, Thomas has got this one. And okay. then we'll, uh, we'll wrap her up. So the Leafs obviously have an interesting prospect pool. But there's two names in particular I'm interested in. Uh, Rasmus Sandy and Nick Robertson. For example, what kind of a role do you see them playing as they're heading into what will likely be their first NHL seasons for them both? Well, let's start with Rasmus Sandin. I really like the player. He fits the style of defenseman that's excelling in the National Hockey League right now. He moves the puck, very good skater. What happened when I watched him closely last year in his audition with the Leafs is he was getting hit. And, you know, he could make the play, but at the American hockey league he could make the play and avoid the hit in order to make the play here he was mm -hmm. taking the hit and for me he was getting hit a little bit too often just you know he's not an overly big guy and and there's some big guys doing the hitting there and so that's the adjustment that'll the combination of being able to make the play and not put himself in a vulnerable position i think will be something that he'll have grown from from last year um you know from a, from a standpoint of seasoning he's going to be challenged to make the team at the start of the year just on the fact that you're assuming that Lettinen has more experience, albeit not in the National Hockey League. You're assuming Bogosian's going to play, certainly. Um, you know, Brody and Riley. You've got uh, Justin Hall in place. You've got Jake Muzzin in place. So just in terms of number of spots, he's going to have to push somebody out. And uh, But I like the style of game. I like the way he plays. And, and I, I think it fits today's game very well. Um, Nick Robertson, I know less about. I, I loved his energy when he came in last year. And there were small details, guys, that I saw. Um, a couple of power play opportunities he had early. First of all, he was on the power play, which says a lot. But the fact that he was willing to shoot, 
and that may sound funny, but there's a selfishness that's required that sometimes a young player is hesitant to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's going to defer and he's, oh, Austin Matthews is open. I'm going to pass him the puck. Well, if Nick Robertson's going to be successful, he's going to have to shoot the puck and not just pass the puck to whomever he's playing with. And there's a way to respect the veteran, but also play the game that you have to play to be most successful. And, you know, I, I think they're going to give him every opportunity because of the energy he brings and the, and the skill level he brings. And uh, it'll be up to him to take advantage of that. But once again, up front, you know, you've got a kid like Jimmy Vesey, who's 27 years old now, 28 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, four-year college player at Harvard. And he had three 17-year goal years in a row, you know, before falling off last year. So a little more experienced, a little more savvy, uh, a little more humble in that, you know, he's, he's taken a step back now uh, since going to Buffalo. So, you know, Nick Robertson's going to have his work cut out for him. I like what I see in the package. Um, whether it's ready or not is what we'll find out. All right, and that's about all we have time for. Dave, I wanted to thank you very much again for taking the time to sit down with us, and we wish you all the best going forward. My pleasure, guys. Keep working hard, and, and best of luck in your endeavors. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, Dave.